We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour Foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m. and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com the baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day Seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge, the answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. This is episode number 543, a special episode for you today. I'm joined by a, a sports scientist in the UK by the name of Simon Brundish. He was a listener of the podcast. He reached out. He uh, he has uh, years and years of experience in the sports science and coaching uh, field. And he, we just, you know, we've been talking over DM 
And he, he was, we were talking about load management and I said, you know what, let's just get you on the podcast and talk about the science behind load management and, and if it works and why the Yankees have uh, deployed it for guys like judge and Stanton and, and what is really the thinking behind how this goes for a sport like baseball, because we obviously know about NBA load management and load management for soccer in the UK, which is where it originated really all the science. But, and I was fully in the camp of, I don't think it's going to work for baseball. It's two totally different things. The guys are not running the same amount. They're not jumping, all that stuff. I'm not going to spoil anything, but boy, does Simon change my mind. <laughs> and he really opened my eyes to a lot of the things that are involved in playing baseball that we don't realize take a lot of energy and it, it require the players to expend so much energy which is uh, really what they're focused on, less about actually running. So this was a fascinating conversation. And Simon also knows his shit about baseball. He's been a fan of the Yankees since the early 2000s, and uh, he, he was pulling references from back in the day. So that that goes to show you he he definitely knows what he's talking about. I am. Uh, we'll get to that episode in, in just a few a few minutes here. I'm recording this Wednesday afternoon. Um, we're not gonna talk. I'm not gonna talk too much about Tuesday night's game, but. Scott and I, I'm sure we'll get into all this, the specifics of the Houston series. I just want to quickly say that it was awesome. To, it was awesome watching that game on Tuesday night. It was the first game in a long time that I have felt that that piqued my interest and kept my interest from a standpoint of this is this is what baseball was like before the COVID shutdown. Even in the playoffs in 2020. You look on TV and there's no one in the stands. You're looking at a freaking cardboard cutout and you're like, they're playing at Petco Park. I know this is supposed to be the playoffs and supposed to be intense, but I just can't fool myself because it's not, it's not what it's supposed to be. And the first month of this season, the Yankees were playing with their heads up their asses and the stadium had 8,000 people in it and you could hear a pin drop and you're like, okay, I guess this is what we're going to do this year. But Tuesday night with the Astros in town and however many people were in the stands, I know I think the the capacity was upped a little bit, but however many thousands of people, it was not nearly what it would have been like if there was no COVID and there was 48,000 people there. The 12,000 or whatever people that were there were freaking awesome. Shout out to all of you guys. You booed the crap out of all of the Houston Astros relentlessly. It was an intense game. It was an exciting game. There was action. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. 
fucking the the door collision play at the plate, the home run by Stanton, who's on absolute fire right now. It, it was just a fun game to watch. And that was really my takeaway. I hope the Yankees, you know, continue to beat Houston because we all hate Houston and want the Yankees to turn their season around. But they're, uh, you know, they won on Tuesday. I have no clue what's going to happen on Wednesday night. They could get their ass kicked and then maybe it's not as exciting of a game. But as far as Tuesday night's game goes, I thought it was uh, a lot of excitement and fun to watch and, um, you know, good, just just all around a, a good product uh, on Tuesday night, which is, as you know, what I have been talking about relentlessly is that I, I, I want baseball to be a better product. So I liked what I saw on Tuesday night, even if the game w- was long, whatever. Enjoy this episode with Simon. I think this is um, fascinating stuff and uh, looking forward to having Simon on the, on the podcast again down the line. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. Is there something interfering with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? We've all gone through a lot over the past year plus with COVID. Well, BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. You can start communicating in under 48 hours. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's professional counseling done securely online. There's a broad range of expertise available, which may not be locally available in your area. And it's available worldwide. You can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses. Plus, you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions so you won't ever have to sit in an uncomfortable waiting room as with traditional therapy. BetterHelp is committed to facilitating great therapeutic matches so they make it easy and free to change counselors if needed. It's more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. BetterHelp wants you to start living happier today. You can visit their website and read their testimonials that are posted daily to see for yourself. Visit betterhelp.com slash bronx21. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, and join the over 1 million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of experienced professionals. We have a great special offer for our listeners. You can get 10% off your first month at betterhelp.com slash bronx21. One more time, betterhelp.com slash bronx21. All right, I'm very happy to bring on to the podcast Simon Brundish, who is uh, was a listener of the show, reached out to us, but more importantly, he's an expert in sports science, and he has a, a long history, I guess, of what, uh, as you said, here in the United States, we call a kinesiologist. Is that right, Simon? That's exactly right. It's it's kind of expanded now into sports, uh, sport and exercise science and strength and conditioning. But yeah, that's that's you might have done a kinesiology degree or something like that. At your your colleges. And as you guys can hear from the accent, Simon is calling from the UK, and uh, very happy to talk to him because in baseball, specifically with the Yankees right now, this idea of load management seems to be sweeping sweeping the sport and sweeping the Yankees because. That's how they are approaching the the Aaron Judge, John Carlos Stanton, uh, specifically these guys with the big bodies, um, trying to keep them healthy for for six plus months of the season. So, uh, Simon, if you could just talk a little bit about uh, you know your background in this area, and then uh, you know we'll talk about how it applies specifically to baseball because uh, you know you're you as you said you're you focus more on on the UK sports. But, um, you know, you're following closely what's going on in baseball right now. Yeah, sure. Um, so my background would be with within professional sports um, would be getting players fit, 
and then keeping them there once they're fit enough to be playing and uh, at the highest performing level. Um, and what we do over the course of the last 20 years or so would be a variety of different tests um, through uh, jumping, running, uh, and then into what we call internal te- uh, testing, which is daily monitoring, which w- you might um, already use because it's kind of uh, normal within general population now, would be like heart monitors yeah. um, or Apple Watches. Um, so you've got an internal uh, objective metric of of uh, your load, of how hard your body's worked and how hard your body has previously worked and how it's currently feeling. And then we have currently, um, over the course of 20 years, but but much closer now, um, we've refined the external load. So how we, we can look at um, and how we can predict and project the uh, consequences of your running or throwing or jumping in a game. Uh, and that's external load. And you can look at that now with um, StatCast. That's yes. Generally, that's your wheelhouse, right? So so you're starting to see um, how far – you see it on, on every – on Michael Kay talks about it every day now, the throwing uh, outfielders report or something they're constantly talking about now. Yeah. And that's the kind of stuff we're talking about. But it also monitors um, how much players are moving in the outfield, how fast they're running, because how fast they're running – um, has a predictive value on the cost, the metabolic cost, we call it, within within a player. And in this instant, the size of the player will make a huge difference as well. So Aaron Judge running uh, 30 metres and diving his 282-pound body or whatever it is um, has a significant higher metabolic cost, so like an energy cost, than Brett Gardner. Yep. Um, so if you can quickly uh, parallel that with the size of your cars in America and the size of our cars, the Mini Cooper, um, and if you're if you're doing a quick uh, a quick drive down to the stadium, uh, it's, it's a twelve mile drive, and you have to stop fifteen times for at the lights or whatever. And you stop twice to get um, a drink and uh, somewhere else to get popcorn on the way, whatever. Uh, in my in your car, which burns um, what's this twenty miles per gallon, and then you do it in my car, which burns seventy miles per, per gallon. Um, we're doing the exact same twelve mile journey, stopping at the exact same places, but just the size of yours overcoming inertia. That's the biggest thing. So you starting from a stopped position has a massive cost in it from a car percentage, but also from from uh, an Aaron Judge perspective or Giancarlo Stanton. Absolutely. I mean, that conceptually, that makes perfect sense to me. You you started by talking about measuring something internally happening in your body, like your heart rate. Like I get that. That that's a that's a that's a a number on the sc- on a screen, and and I can understand that. But from but this seems to be, from my perspective, a less exact science because you have to almost assign values to different activities. Is that is that correct? Yeah, hundred percent. So um, what we've done in what you guys have done in, in American sports in the last five years is get us and Aussies, sports scientists, over to head up your perfor- human performance departments and your training departments. 
because we have this history and of of um uh research development and innovation in England and in Australia with GPS with um uh, uh internal monitoring so that we we are used to now because of the premier league and the amount of money that's in the premier league that we have tested every all footballers and rugby players to death so we understand um now we've started to create metrics for the cost of uh two rugby players colliding mm-hmm. at, at what size they are from a tackle that you would see in american football or what the the physiological cost is of um a hundred and uh, 120 kilo of a 250 pound guy yeah, jumping to, and landing translate for us. Yeah. It's a 250 pound guy jumping and landing or, or, or 230 pound guy in basketball. And, and there is, there is specific objective phys- physiological costs to these things that we now can translate and we can, we can get from GPS data and from tracking data, we call that. So every time a player moves or stops, we have uh, a loading factor for that. Mm-hmm. And so over the years, heart monitors have been uh, commonplace for in, in all sports for 20 years now. But it's the new tracking stuff that, that you're starting to see the consequences of with the load management thing. So now we can see, we can correlate the external cost. So this player plays for 38 minutes of basketball in a game and individually position to position. And he do, it's going to require him to, to make 180 sprints of 10 meters or more. And in that, he's going, to, he's going to have to accelerate or decelerate 320 times. That has this fatigue factor. Right. And we, can, we, can, we call it really an arbitrary unit, AUs. And we, we each position on, the, on a basketball court or in baseball have um, a specific loading factor, an AU. And then we times that by minutes that they were doing it so you can quickly add up over the course of a day a game a week their AUs per week and the thing that we're doing with Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton and LeBron James or because he came from basketball didn't he load management load management exactly in the US load management like swept the NBA like four four years ago and and I I think I understand it much better for the NBA than baseball, which we'll get to in a second, but continue with what you were saying. So, so what I'm saying is that now it, our guys permeated into the NBA a little bit earlier than in, in baseball. So the British guys with the sports science and it's yeah. easier. It's a closer in close. We could, it's a much more closed environment in terms of uh, both the environment, but uh, like a physical environment, but also as a part of the game, we call it closed because it's, uh, it's smaller. There are less individual things happening on the, on there. It's less chaotic. Um, so it's easier to manage and quantify distances and everything on, on a court than it is in a baseball field, which is easier to do now. So we look at these AAUs anyway, these AUs, arbitrary units, it is it, correlated per position and then it will be individualized per height, weight, all that stuff. And um, we can start to quantify over the course of a week and then over the course of four weeks, that's the key element, your average weekly load over four weeks. And then we start to be able to predict norms from this for each individual player. And then we're looking at deviations of no greater than 30% of your weekly load, which is called the acute load, against your chronic load, which is the four-week, 
Okay. And it's the ratios between those. If there's if there's a, an increase of more than thirty percent, you are way more likely to get injured. I, I think you took fifty seven percent more likely to get injured within a week. And is there so what they're trying to do is keep it lower than thirty percent? Yeah, and is that the sort of um, so is this so the idea then is if you give Aaron Judge two days off in a row or something like that, he sort of resets his to to baseline. Is that the idea with that or no? Well, it's actually the weirdly, what you want to do is keep it. So, so there are two factors going on here, right? But the acute chronic load is the thing that, that starts the, um, load management issues that you have that you see that become predictive. So, so what we'll see is that, uh, certain players, they get their, um, on, on the 28th of May, they're going to have two days. This guy's going to have two days off. And on the 17th of June, that guy's going to have two days off because that's the predictive nature of, of the trends. Cause this, this is trend on trend. This is what we're looking at. And so we're looking at previous history of this is the internal load of this guy. When we have, when we, the external load is this. So that's a relationship between those two things. So we can predict where it's going to, going to work. And what we're trying to do is keep it within a specific threshold. We're not trying to reduce it, freshness back to nothing. All we're trying to do is keep that trend line within 30% for the rest of the season. Does that make sense? It, it, it absolutely does make sense. And I, I I guess, though, there's also the factors, and you talked to a little bit about this, just different body types. A Brett Gardner versus Aaron Judge, they're going to have different metrics because of their body type. But also, you could have this an, a guy the size of Aaron Judge, but for whatever reason, his body just holds up better. Is it? So how how are those sorts of things factored in? How are those sorts of, I guess you would call them outliers, right? Like that would be an outlier. Kind of, but with before we even get to outliers, every player is individually scrutinized. So you look at oh, their they're previous... Not, they're not grouped together as just like general size. Everybody specific individually will, will, will have... It's becoming more and more um, common within baseball. I spoke to a couple of literally the guy... A couple of the strength coaches that work on the game last night from both teams. Um, and the things that we're that we're doing now is is very similar to what we do in the Premier League. So we're creating um, like an in, like a training passport and injury passport. So so each player has documented their whole history of of injury, and then we start each club will start to refine the the things that might have factored into them caught the previous. Um, train pre- previous playing because unless they're at your club you don't know what their training history was but you can look at their playing loads that, that and where their in- injury incidents has occurred so that's one layer and then when you, when they're your player you can then factor in the training the travel which is hugely significant i hear you guys talk about how they're they're on the, the pods on the plane they're not but you uh, make fun but it's real no, um, and it's really important as well. I agree. It's like these guys are professional. They're they're all larger than normal size humans, even the small ones. Like, yeah, they, sure. should, they should not be crammed into a seat with their knees in the back. And I've seen pictures, and they are, and it blows my mind. I've worked with NBA players who had a sponsorship deal with a tiny car company, <laughs> and so so all of a sudden these cars pulled up. They were given these these cars. And these guys, these guys literally rip the front seat out and sit on the back seat to drive. Yeah. And they were still like, you ever see just the, is, is, is madness. You ever uh, see but, the, uh, the episode of Cribs where Shaq had a custom car and he had like a cutout for his head? 
<laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I remember. Um, so, so that was one of the factors. Another factor in, in, into the individualization of this of this programming, uh, and which leads to the load, load monitoring of each player, right? So every day there will be some kind of monitoring test done for every single player. So, so there is, so both teams they have an app on their phones. Uh, all the players do, and and when they wake up in the morning, it's it's either they they'll have their phone monitoring their sleep quality or they will have to put in a number out of 10 of how well they slept and their time amount of sleep that they had they will have to put uh, what we call an rpe score which is a rate of perceived exertion basically how hard they they feel like the previous day was out of 10 and then how their body feels in terms of soreness out of 10 but if you're asking the player to do this that's way less accurate than if you're actually getting Weirdly, that was my assumption too, 15 years ago when we started to do this, right? So this works on a player-per-player basis. But so we now have ex- have internal uh, metrics that work with this. So so the sleep metric, the, the, you can your phone can monitor yeah, your sleep. You have a Fitbit right? or something that has that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All, so Apple Watches, all the players have this stuff now. So it's constantly monitoring what a thing, a really important fact in this is called heart rate variability. So if you have an Apple Watch, you literally can just touch the side and it starts to, it gives uh, the RSTQ curve that you see on, on any ECG that blip. Yep. Um, and it's a relationship between the four points of, of that double curve that changes when you get stressed. And so it's called heart rate variability and we can monitor that every day. If you do it first thing in the morning, so you get a baseline that every player has a, has a, a, an average baseline. And we start to look for deviations of this, which start to point towards um, that the, they've got something going on in their system. So it could be just stress. It could be tiredness, but it could be an injury starting to develop. Could be could be starting to get cold, whatever. So that's one of the signs. The, the how they perceive, how hard they perceived yesterday's, uh, workload. That's one of the things, how they're feeling today. So we generally have seven or eight different metrics. Four of them are usually um, from the player's perspective. But in research, this correlates to within 90% of the actual um, internal testing, the objective testing. It's very weird. Hmm. And if you're a coach, you'll quickly be able to, dis- to discern amongst the group who is the liar. So, so you'll get some guys that always tell you, Guardy, he'll be one, that always tells you it was less than it is. Yeah. Yeah. He'll be he'll tell you it's always it was it was way less than oh yeah, I'm fine. I'm I'm good. I'm good. I've got a broken leg. He'll be like the guy from Life of Brian, where you from <laughs> you do, do you know what I mean? The the Monty Python sketch. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it's nothing. It's just a mere wound. And scrap. then you'll get other guys that always that talk it up. Oh, I feel terrible today. Yeah. So, so you use so your coaching understanding. You put a mitigation in the in in their loading metrics that that allows for this one way or the other trend. And then and so all of these these numbers go into um, uh, basically a spreadsheet um, or a much greater cloud, and it will start to pump out a dashboard for each player. And what they're looking at is, is if there are there are three or more. Um, differences in those metrics from baseline, then they start to investigate why. Okay. So there are lots of factors. It's not just Aaron Judge's tired legs. That will be one of those factors, but the, but he'll have actual physiological responses in his system that he is stressed in some way. And they're trying to keep those down 
to stop the injury occurring before it happens. And and my thing is, if we can keep it to 25 days, so you're looking at 130 to 136 games, I think that's a lot of value you're still providing. He's going to be just below MVP level, I'd have thought. Oh, totally. And, and as Scott and I were talking about on a recent episode, if if load management leads to Aaron Judge not going on the IL this year and playing about 140 games, then I'm all for it. But if they're implementing this load management strategy and giving him these couple days off every couple of weeks, and then he still lands on the IL for something, then I then I have to just question what's the point of it. Yeah, I, I get it. I, and and not knowing what I know, five years ago with Girardi, they would they were randomly put giving guys days off because arbitrarily he's paid five out of six days in a row, and that's just arbitrary. That's just. That's just go feel. And this is not feel. This is science. This is using each player's baseline. And once we've got a significant enough deviation from what is normal, it's not, it's not just one line. It's within a threshold. If we've got three markers that are above that threshold, we take it down again until to get back underneath that threshold. And we're, because of the tracking data, we're actually really good at predicting when those things are going to be. So then how do you explain? 20 years ago, which is when you started to become a fan of baseball, Derek Cheater, Alex Rodriguez, these players were playing 155 games a year, year in and year out. Load management was not even a term that we knew about. They would get the occasional day off once a month, not even once a week. So how do you explain how that was possible then? And now it's now we are where we are. Okay, two very simple things. One, I don't know if you guys follow it, uh, international sports at all, but I know some of your your uh, listeners definitely. I, I, I met a few when we were at when you came over to went to um, the, the London series, yeah, Wembley, to the Olympic Stadium. Yeah. Um, but there are significant because we've had this data within football. Is is we're probably about eight years uh, further on than you guys from from monitoring the effects of this data, right? And so in football. Um, there was a massive worldwide study done seven years ago, and the difference between um, the amount of high-speed actions in a game, so that's running above, it doesn't matter, seven and a half meters per second. So so it's it's above the speed you can get to on a treadmill, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the, got the significant metabolic cost. That's when you go, wow, that's some athleticism, right? The amount of that uh, over the pre- previous five years had gone up 40%. Ah. Oh. So... If you just so to to parallel quickly, no, that, 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 yeah, throwing harder. Everyone's throwing harder. When if you just think of think of when uh, Phil Hughes and Jabba came up and Ian Kennedy, that that those guys. Do you see? I know, I do know what I'm talking about. You know you're those scared. guys. That that Phil Hughes, like the, there was a spring training story about. Um, uh, I think it was. John B. Might have been John B. Might have been A-Rod. We're talking about how hard he was throwing and hitting, hitting beside his glove. And and they were like, wow, this guy's a fireballer. And and then, and I was actually a little bit, because there was a few fireballers knocking around then. But when he when he eventually came up, it was like 92. I was <laughs> like, oh. But right. now, if he was throwing 92, he'd be a sign armor. Yeah. He would be like a submarine or something. Yeah, no, you're, you're totally right. Uh, Randy Johnson obviously used to be one of the hardest throwing guys and he was 97 and he was like the hardest throwing guy in the league for, for many years. And now but he, was, he was the exception. Right. And now 97 is, 
I, I want to, I'm taking a guess here. I would guess the average fastball is somewhere between 95 and 96 miles an hour. I, I think it's 95.6. Okay. So then, and, um, and you, Michael were, King, who is nothing, he comes up and, hey, he, and he is, don't he say might, that about my guy, Michael King grew up in my no, neighborhood. I like him a lot, but he's not, he's the, but he's not famous for being like a, a fireballer. 94. He's just a guy. Yeah. He's, he, he's an innings eater and he's pummeling the ball and probably Yan- the Yankees have probably had 15 pitches in their history that's thrown harder than him. I understand. Okay, from a pitching standpoint, totally agree. But what about position players? Because the acts that these guys are doing on the field have not, from my standpoint, you're still, you're running to track down a fly ball. You're going first to third. Like these actions have been around for for decades. Yeah, but right. So there's the, the sprint speed is about the same. It's actually gone up a little bit. Right. And the average sprint speed across the league has gone up a little bit. Yeah. Okay. There are no fat guys anymore. So, or there is Sandoval and the Red Sox always have a couple he of He almost ate his way out of the league. So, point two. Yeah. 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 So, we've got like a whole bunch of very athletic dudes. Yep. So, Mike Trout is not the, is not the outlier anymore. Apart from, you know, he's a genius, but apart from the genius, from a size perspective, he's not the outlier. He's just kind of a normal jacked dude. Mm-hmm. Being jacked has a significant metabolic cost. Okay, good. I, I'm glad you brought this up because you got Giancarlo Stanton bench pressing Instagram models. You've got Luke Voigt trying to set his personal best for one arm bench press. I'm like, I'm sorry, that cannot be valuable to playing baseball 150 days a year. It just can't. No, be. It's, it's very valuable to playing, but. You've got to weigh up, right? So we need power. So you lift more, so you gain more mass, so that you can produce more force, which causes more torque. You guys have talked about torque, yep. but torque yep. is rotational force. Yep. So if you rotate fast, which which you need to in baseball because it's a rotational sport, whether you're throwing or hitting, right? The biggest cost to rotating fast is you have to break equally fast in a rotation in a rotatory manner. That's our bodies aren't designed to do that. So, so the hardest thing to do from a from a sports person from an athletic perspective in the world is throw a baseball, and it's not the generation of power; it's the arm slowing down. Hmm. And now we're getting to the point of that these lads are hitting the ball so hard is that rotational force is there. You start to see across the sling from the shoulder down to the left ankle. You start to see deceleration injuries occur. Right, so you'll have heard of you'll have heard of hamstring injuries in sprinters and stuff. It doesn't come about from accelerating; it comes about from the braking. Mm. So the cost of hitting the ball so hard is that we have to brake so hard, which is the so, it's where the injuries occur. If you were so, then if you were to like somehow get into a vacuum, prime Aaron Judge and prime Alex Rodriguez, and just look at the torque that their swings are creating and the amount of force that their body is dealing with in those swings, you're telling me that today's player, like Aaron Judge, is has more stress on his body when he's swinging a bat than when Alex Rodriguez or Derek Jeter were doing the same thing? Exponentially more force. So the further you get, you take away, it's called the moment arm, but the further you literally take away the arm, the, the arm from rotation of the center of your body, the more torque. So every inch away from the center of the body, you produce more power, but there is more torque on the on the brakes, yeah, as you get further yeah. away. So like centrifugal forces, and that's exactly what's occurring. And so there's so much less stress on the opposite side of the body to slow that down. 
I mean, as you explain it, this 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 makes sense. I was I was all ready to shit all over load management in baseball, to be perfectly honest with you, because I just uh and it wasn't that long ago. It less than 10 years ago, you had players stars throughout the game routinely playing almost every day, staying healthy. Yes performing up to their their traditional metrics and all that stuff but they they're, they're performing at, at probably they'd figured a way to perform at 80 percent of their of their max that's why i don't believe that pitchers now can throw harder i believe uh, I, I believe that there are less fat guys so that they have a higher so so the minimum the the the, the greater volume across the sport have a have a slightly higher floor but i believe that the the absolute capacity is probably gone up a little bit, but most most pitchers can throw just do throw harder because they don't have to go as long in the yeah they're, in the they're, game. They're if doing you guys talk about this. Yep. So their max effort, max and so effort that, that, that three that three real outcome thing yep. that that has a that has a massive cost as well. Everyone's swinging harder. No one considers that you didn't choke up for a, for a two strike at bat to to shank the ball the, the opposite way. Well, you're not swinging so hard, so you don't have to break as hard. That's right. it. So if you just add three of those in a, in every single game, that's 480 a, a, in a season times extra you have to break that hard. And for baseball, because the activities are, there's so many different activities than like for uh, soccer or, yeah, yeah. or for basketball, which is so much more just like sprinting, stopping, jumping. Where baseball, you have those things, but you have these these torque movements, throwing, you have swinging. So all of those sorts of intricate movements, where are we in the the tracking of those? Are we still in, in the infancy? Are we? No, we're in a really good place. So, so it's really good. I actually hadn't thought of that parallel. But if you look at basketball or soccer, the, the, the biggest stress on both of those is getting to, is traveling. Right. It's it's you get the ball and you travel somewhere and then in basketball you jump yep. and then you shoot. But the shoot, the shot in, in basketball or the kick in football, most of the time submaximal. So is it's about finesse. In baseball, it's max effort. So the traveling is part of it, but not such a big part of it. It's the actual money shot in baseball right. that is absolute max effort. It's throwing the ball guys the base. Bigger and stronger. Yeah. Right. Because I, I was, I, I'm glad that we sort of, I'm glad we have, we're having this conversation because I wasn't thinking about those movements. I was thinking about, well, Aaron Judge is standing out in right field for 95% of the time. Then he goes and tracks down a fly ball. How much effort is that really taking? But as you explain all these other movements, it it makes more sense. I mean, again, I'm, I'm, I'm withholding judgment on, pun intended, on the load management thing to, cause I hope it keeps them healthy. And, and I, obviously they've, they've determined 100% of Aaron judge effort for 130 games is more valuable to them than 80% of effort from Aaron judge for 150 games. Like, would, do you agree with, would you agree with that? Yeah, from, I, I would, would, athlete, would you, would you say an athlete is more valuable at doing that? Well, they sadly will have 100% put a monetary factor on this. They would have decided this for sure. Yeah. They would have put a monetary a monetary factor on on pl- per plate appearance, his value per plate appearance, right. and how do we get more of those in a season? That they've done it one hundred percent. No, but 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 well, then, fr- but from to just maximize his amount of playing time, 
it would be him not playing 100% max effort every time he's on the field. Yeah, probably. So you want, but it still goes back to that. You can't swing. It's it's not like a running. So so people jump to max effort and go straight to how fast is he running to first base? That's not. Or is he is he throwing himself into a wall? He's swinging. Yeah. You he can't swing at eighty percent. He'll miss the pitch every time. Right. He's swinging or he's not. Right. That that makes. That makes perfect sense. <laughs> so, so I don't know if you guys, it, it, um, I hear, I think Scott occasionally has been to the gym, but you guys lift. Hey, yeah. I, I exercise. My routine is five out of six days. I take one day off, then do five days in a row. Okay. Amazing. But do you lift weights? Yes. Rather than just like you're doing bike. Yeah, you lift weights. Yeah. So if you're going to bench or if you're deadlift, a deadlift will be a better example, right? And if you're going to go for somewhere near your maximum, that moment that you're picking up what how uh, I don't know in, in pounds two if you're going over two hundred pounds okay. right deadlift off the floor that moment where you're down there you're taking your breath shoulders back keep your abs tight and you're you're gripping onto that bar and just as you're about to lift there every sinew of your body is contracted to right. produce force into the ground to get that bar up. And they're doing that at the fastest contractile rate a human can to swing the bat. Yeah. And and Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton can do it harder than anybody in history. And that's why we're getting more injuries. If you're if you're looking at um the the I I think we're gonna go for a little epiphany in, in maybe ten years' time where where we realize baseball is for small guys. But um, because they they well they have a massive advantage. They they have a field. massive advantage. If you can get them strong enough to hit the ball on just over the over the um, the wall, it all counts the same. But their advantage. I'm going off at a tangent here. The um, I, I did some some data on this. Altuve, uh, his so for a pitcher to hit Altuve strike zone, he has 38 percent less area to hit than Aaron Judge. Yeah. So Aaron Judge has thirty eight percent more area to cover. Yeah. It's so much harder to be a big guy. That's why you're getting a whole bunch of those smaller guys that are jacked that that are now the best players in the game. Bre- Bregman, Altuve, Trout to, to an extent is six six one or whatever. He's not he's not huge. He's, but he's then like um, oh, I mean he's he, I think he's listed at probably two hundred and thirty pounds. Exactly, but his strike zone is not bigger. That's oh, what I'm talking okay. about. It's okay. that strike zone. Yeah. The smaller they are, the harder that strike zone is to hit for a pitcher. The easier it is to cover this small area or this small area. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I guess I mean that's how the the Yankees have kind of lived and bought and died by these big guys, though, because Voigt, Voigt's a, a big guy as well. Even even Lemayhew's six four. So it's like they have so many big bodied people on on their team. Um, that's sort of, they have to deal with it at this point. And, and I guess injuries are, are coming more frequently with the big bodied guys. That's why the Yankees have had an unprecedented amount of injuries over the past three seasons. I don't know if you exactly. saw, I don't know if you saw Ken Rosenthal posted, uh, an article, uh, I believe it was this morning, but actually I have some data here. So in the first month of the season compared to 2019, cause that was the last time they played in April injury, IL placements are up 15%. 22% increase for pitchers. And this number shocked me. 97% increase in soft tissue injuries. Yeah. So this is, it It, it correlates perfectly with um, 
sorry, I've lost you. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, it correlates perfectly with the acute chronic thing that, was, that we talked about early on, right? So you can only make a 30% week-on-week um, in, week increase in your four-week average. So if you're coming back from, um, from off-season, where the guys these days, they train much harder than they used to previously, a generation ago, not even, probably eight years ago, um, so that their chronic load is already higher, it would have been deliberately set this way. So they're already training. And they're gradually then increasing through, through spring training. But you're going to have lads that didn't. And even, even then, the, the cost of playing the season, the extra stresses of travel, the extra stresses of COVID, stress is the thing that causes injury, um, at just rolled in straight into uh, the season, which is four weeks into preseason. You've not had actually had time to establish a high enough chronic load to create the acute acute load necessary on the soft tissue for playing week on week. Uh, that's why at the beginning of the season, there's there's so many um, uh, off days right. to enable them to build up that. Because there's always lots of complaint about why there are so many off days. It's because they're not done and they know, they, need, they know you need to gradually build up your tolerance to playing that often. And because we had uh, the COVID last year, this unprecedented levels of, of sedentary behavior from everybody, from players even. So their fitness will be lower. That's basically. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, that, that, that also makes sense. I mean, but like you said, these guys are all training hard in the off season, unlike, unlike a decade ago. Uh, I mean, there are stories about how guys used to use spring training to get in shape and like no one comes in to spring training completely out of shape and expecting to shed 10 pounds or build muscle in four weeks. No, you use spring training to get your timing back to hit a baseball. It's not to actually get your body in shape. Yeah, for sure. But, but it's still, there's, there is still a loading factor on the day on every single day that you don't have in the off season when you're training. So, so a typical player, uh, in the off season might, you know, the crazy ones will, let's go with Gardner. He will get up at five o'clock in the morning and go and lift and then pull his tractor around his field because he doesn't need a horse. Uh, <laughs> and then, and then he might go run a bit and then go fish a bit or whatever. And then he'll go back to his own bed. So he doesn't have any of the external stresses of being a baseball player, which is a significant factor in this. So his body can recover at a much quicker rate than it would do if he was in season. Yeah. So it's one of the factors is the rate of, of actual recovery of the body of, on a cellular level, which, which you living at home in your house with your kids, putting good nutrition in your body, having really nice, happy surroundings and you're comfortable, that occurs quicker. But, but also, that you can't, it's really hard to replicate the, the feeling of, uh, of playing in a game and having to react at, at the extreme, with the extreme forces that are necessary to dive, but just to swing really hard at pitches that you didn't ex- know where was coming, right. if that makes sense. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's, it's a huge, so if you can bear in mind the cost of breaking, always it's about breaking. And if you have to, like I dropped a drink, if you have to react to catch the drink when I didn't expect to, the cost of breaking was much greater than I knew a drink was going to fall, so I'd reach for it and yeah. stop it. Yeah. yeah. And that chaos is caused in-game, and it's not caused in training. Hmm. Yep. I, no, I think I know the answer to this, but were, were guys 
when in the steroid era when they were massive, like mu- more muscular than even guys are now, were they able to stay healthy? Because that just one hundred percent because of the steroids. They weren't able to stay healthy, but yeah. So, so this, this, I, I'd love about a ten-hour chat about steroids. But one of the big factors. Get you back steroids, on and talk about steroids. The biggest, most important factor in the famous steroids that are used. The, this, the first generation, the, the anabol, this stuff that uh, Mark McGuire was using and, and all of those, uh, those Spanish lads that couldn't remember how to speak English anymore. Um, <laughs> those guys, um, the biggest thing that the, the stuff they're injecting their bodies did was recover. So it enabled them, enabled them to, try to do 10 extra sets of, yeah. of weights, which, which uh, allowed their body to grow, yeah. but also it enabled them to recover to do it again tomorrow. And it enabled their bodies to recover so they could play uh, baseball tomorrow. And Andy Pettit to recover from his injury. It was about recovery. So literally the essence of the things they were taking enabled them to recover. Plus, the, the, they're all on greenies back in the day. And people greatly underestimate the value of that. That's, that's the biggest single change in baseball in 50 years. The, the elimination of, of stimulants. Yeah, greenies really exploded in the eighties. It was it was Daryl Strawberry. I'm sure you've read those stories, or I don't know if you saw that uh, ESPN documentary, but he's talking about how he would he would start he would start drinking late in games. He would do cocaine overnight, and then he'd use greenies to wake back up for the baseball game the next afternoon. Sounds fun. <laughs> <laughs> I guess when you're in your twenties and and a millionaire, but sounds tiring. Oh, so, but so so they so one of the reasons that they can recover is steroids. But mainly the reason that they could recover even into two thousand, I think it's fourteen, maybe stimulants got got removed until that's. I think it was two thousand fourteen, might have been two thousand twelve, where suddenly eighty percent of all baseball players had ADHD and Ritalin. Oh, I, I, yeah. I mean, I'll take your word for. It. I don't remember specifically stimulants being being. Uh, in 2012 or 14, I don't remember a, something. Yeah, there was a set. So there was there was very much a second. It might have been. I can't remember. It's the end of Jeter. It was. Okay. I think it was the, the year Jeter retired. Okay, that was yeah, that, that would have been 14. I'm not saying Jeter was on stereo. On, yeah, uh, I get but, what you're but no, at, at the time that they were commonplace and they were allowed, yeah. and then they stopped, and then players started to get load management all of a sudden. Yeah, yeah, because it's really, really hard to play baseball every day. Uh, obviously, obviously it is. It, it's it's a it's the most grind of sports because it is every day where NBA, even though the actual physical exertion you're doing throughout the game is more than baseball, you have a day or two off uh, in between. I know, you know, we talked about the the different movements and stuff. I mean, it it, it all plays a factor um, into into what they're tracking. Uh, yeah, again, I, I'm. I'm hoping this uh, this strategy works for them because it hasn't worked in 18, 19, and 20. They were continued to drop like flies on the injured list. So hopefully this strategy works for them. I could, uh, absolutely. Uh, just a little bit more evidence. No, a little bit more faith in the fact that TrackMan and the GPS data in practice and in every stadium now has been has literally only been established last year where COVID didn't it just screwed with everything so this is the first time they've had they've been able to externally monitor every movement on a uh, every baseball movement on on a pitch yeah so we it removes the guessing right so it might not be this year i think you i think we're good this year honestly do um but by next year we will 
have so much data, the predictive values of, of our programs will be that, that it'll be as good as they'll get. And, and 15 years ago, maybe 10 years ago, Aaron Judge, he doesn't sit down two days because his lower body is sore. He just plays through it. And then that's when he's likely to get injured. Uh, Aaron Judge stops playing baseball at 28. Did, I even think 10 years ago, 10 years unless ago? he's on steroids, Aaron Judge had stopped playing at 28 because he'd have played so much. He'd have just got injured, had to carry on because, you know, he's a man, he's a guy. He just carries on. And then he, he would he would tear like a um, the sheath of his hamate bone or something. And and so he would he would probably get some kind of uh, rip in the wrists from the amount of talk that he's putting in, and then he just won't be able to play. Okay, <laughs> that's a bleak picture. If you're a good thing, Aaron Judge was, was born when he was. There was a guy, Sean Green. Is he uh, a guy? LA, he played for LA. Yeah, he played. Yep, Toronto. Yeah, he was a huge dude. He's a big, tall guy. Uh, no, he wasn't. He, Sean Green wasn't wasn't super big. He wasn't like huge, but he was really tall. Uh, you might he was be thinking, a right fielder. You might be thinking of something else. Remember, I'm English, so you have to be kind. Well, I'm I'm looking up right now. Sean Green. He. Uh, I'm looking up. I'm trying to get his height. Uh, I'm trying to get his height for you. Six four. I mean, that's tall, but it's not Aaron Judge tall. No, it's not. But but in baseball, it was tall at the time. I remember him being like a a bit of a a bit of a tall freak. Uh, Frank Thomas. He yeah, was like the Frank. other big tall guy, but he was huge. So huge. That's yeah. But he didn't ever try to run or throw. He just stood there and whacked the ball. <laughs> he was good at it. He was very, very good at it, for sure. Uh, uh, but Sean, I remember Sean Green. He was like a bit of a prodigy at one point. He he, he had like one outlier season, I think. Okay. And then he just got a, a cascade of injuries. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I yeah. Think that's who Aaron Judge would have been. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, so it, it, in in the sense, uh, I was thinking that he would have just played through it, played poorly, more likely to get injured. You're you're telling me at this point in his career, he wouldn't even be on the field anymore. So, I mean, I'll take your word for it. Um, I think it's somewhere between those two things. Mine's so, probably a bit extreme, but it's definitely somewhere between those things. We had, I don't know if you listened to uh, our recent episode, but Scott and I got in a little bit of an argument on if the Yankees will sign Aaron Judge long-term. And my argument, of course, I want them to sign Aaron Judge because I'm a huge fan of Aaron Judge. But at the same time, if they don't, it's going to be because of his age and injury risk uh, requirements where they have to do all this stuff to keep him healthy. Um, how do you see a player like him or Stanton aging, you know, Right now they're in their primes. They're 29, 30 years old. What happens when they're 38 years old, 36 years old? I So when I started watching baseball in 2002, the prime of steroids by all accounts, uh, but I hadn't got a clue at the time, but I was coming from my background. I love athleticism. And it, and and really the thing that drew me to the game was was these insane throws from the outfield and diving catches and Jeter's throw. And um, uh, uh, Andrew, Andrew Jones. There you go, Andrew Jones uh, and Tory Hunter. Yeah, um, and the, like that—that that insaneness that we we could see because they were such standout athletes then. Yeah. I think we have Aaron Judge and Giancarlo Stanton are both, even though Stanton has not played for a long time in the outfield in in any kind of way. He was a, he's actually a better outfielder than we remember him to be. I agree with you. Um, Athletic behemoth. It's just that he, I think he's the legacy of trying to keep him on the field. So we think we think modifying his load by him not running 
this is your way of thinking of modifying load, if that makes sense, without me being insulting in any way. But I think he is a legacy of that thinking by making him DH. I think he would more likely stay on the the field pitch um, if he was playing on the field because if he was if if he was out there because the the load of him the the the, the fatigue element of him being on his feet it really isn't like you say it's not it's not a big deal at all no. the, it, it doesn't clank into walls he's not that kind of outfielder no so it would be fine so in a long-winded way i think these guys might be the out, outliers of the current crop of player but we really have to disassociate what we know about athletes playing into their 30s because that was steroids. Roger Clemens shouldn't have got better at 34. Right. And the we I couldn't believe, because in football, like 30-ish, that's your peak, and then you fall off. By 32, you're retired. And I was started watching baseball, and and like Tim Salmon was old <laughs> and and amazing, and he uh, just won the World Series, and 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 we got like all of these old guys, and being in your thirties was normal, and being thirty, Barry Bonds was like thirty seven and a mate, the best in the world, and players started to get paid at twenty nine for the next seven years. And it was just, it's the weirdest thing to me. And I think we're coming to the end of that cycle, aren't we? We're, start, we're starting to get a correction in the next competitive but the uh, bargaining agreement, whatever yep. it's called. Um, but I think these two might be, fingers crossed, the last ones that get their payday and still provide some kind of value. You think You think Judge could provide value when he's 35 years old on the field? Yeah. Because because power doesn't diminish, and that's the thing I'm talking about. So torque and power, it doesn't diminish at that level. I can still lift uh, 200 kilos, which is your 420 pounds, um, at, at uh, four meters per point four meters per second, which is still a, rap, a, a good velocity. I, I I haven't lost that sharp power. I just can't run fast anymore. And if we're not asking them to sprint at an elite level. They can still sustain within their bodies if we're if we're smart about how they play. So, but I, last question, we'll, we'll we'll wrap it up. But so, as a guy ages, how do those factors, like you said, you're trying to keep it within thirty percent? How do those change b- between when they're twenty eight years old or when they're thirty five years old? Doesn't change. Doesn't it's still, change. It's still unique to everybody. The, the, their capacities might drop a little bit, but we're already monitoring their drop. Right. So, so if you, it's, it's a chronic workload. It's only four weeks. It's not four weeks compared to four years ago. It's only four weeks four against week one week. Got it's it. constantly evolving. Okay. So, I mean, I, and that's, I mean, because the Yankees, like you, like you just were talking about, stay and they, they'd be better off having him play the field maybe three or four times a week. Like the Yankees are deep into all of this stuff that you just outlined. So, why have they not recognized that about Stanton? Why do they have the backwards thinking like I do, where it's like, oh, he doesn't play the field so he can stay healthy? I don't think they do. I think they did. I it wouldn't surprise me. I've heard earlier in the early in the season we heard uh, talk of Stanton getting on the field again. I think the problem is because he's now conditioned to not do it, it would be a spike to do it. If that makes sense. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they shot themselves in the foot. Yeah, yeah. So Cressy, a hundred percent understands the exact stuff I'm talking about. Right, and, and- but Cressy is new. He wasn't there before. And your strength coaches, the Yankee strength coaches for 20 years, 
are personal trainers. And I was staggered by some of them. Stevie Donahue, you weren't impressed with Stevie Donahue? Dana Cavallari or whatever his name is. Oh, no, no, you're athletic trainers. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Oh, we, we call it a different thing. So so this, so your athletic trainer is what we will call a physio. Okay. So the guy that mediates between the guy that, make, that does the train, makes a guy fitter and the guy that's it, repairing injury. Yeah? yeah. That's kind of what your athletic trainer does. And your fitness guy is, in our world, the strength conditioning coach or sports scientist. and that's the that's who really is everywhere in in American sports now. But five years ago was just the guy that worked in the gym. Right, right. Yeah, and that's Cre- the guy you used to have. Yeah, and Cressy, they partnered with him in the 2019 to 20 off season. Then obviously last year was COVID, so this is the first actual full year that they have yeah. with. So hopefully we start to reap the rewards of of what they're doing now. Um, absolutely and and long term just to finish because obviously this is not 20 minutes um the the one of the the uh, i don't know the pervasive programming issues that i've heard of within baseball is what we call uh ltad the long-term athletic development program so so from your youngest players so so uh like jason dominguez those coming in at 16 17 18 within the system they the Traditionally, it's been driven by results first. So get that guy, get that guy on the field now at a seventeen or eighteen to um, get him to hit home run, so we can win this game. And in the last two years, there's a big overhaul within baseball, but very much within the Yankees. So that what we're trying to do is develop them physically as well as technically, so that they are now that when they're ready to go into the majors, they are physiologically capable of repeating this really, really high uh, performing physical output every day over the course of the year. And they'd never done that before. It was never a mindset before. And it's, it's ours in sports in England since the last 10 years. Yeah. So, so I think we're going to get uh, guys from the minors coming up in much better shape with a much lower injury history than we've had before. Yeah. And so you were talking about how... Um you've uh performance history they just have to rely on things where dominguez they've had him since he was 16 years old so they're going to have all the data they need uh, on this guy yeah yeah, yeah exactly but but it, the really good comparison would be gary you won't get a fat guy coming up anymore is gary fat or is he just not no but he's he, but he just goes he goes through phases where he is chubbier than others yeah he is inathletic compared to a lot of the other players definitely yeah. So 20 years ago, he would be an athletic catcher. But compared to compared to um, players these days, he is he would be on the lower end of, of athleticism, despite compared to you or me being a god. Right, right. Well, Simon, this was fascinating. I know we said we were going to do 20 minutes, but I'm glad it went this long because I, I know I learned a lot. I hope the listeners learned a lot. So I really appreciate the time. As always, great to chat. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show, we'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees.